The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in beautiful Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Enjoying the beauties of Norwood. <laughs> That's right. It's a great place to be. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, Father, I thought we could return to the email inbox uh, tonight. We have a few emails that I'd like to get through. Um, this first one is, is very practical questions dealing with the Society of St. Pius X. And this viewer says, Dear Father Jenkins, I have become increasingly concerned about the slide towards modernism and capitulation to the conciliar church clergy by the Society of St. Pius X. I am worried that they have already made a deal with Rome and are slowly implementing the necessary changes due to this compromise. Therefore, no public announcement of a deal will be forthcoming. It is apparently already happening due to the obvious change in attitude towards the modernist by the SSPX, as if they are now looking to them for leadership. My question is, how will we know when to stop assisting at SSPX masses? Is there a specific sign to look for? Your thoughts, Father? Well, some think the sign is already there. I mean, the fact that people recognize that there is a capitulation to the modernists, I say that's enough, they can't go forward with that. Um, others, I guess, are looking for something catastrophic. Remember, when the changes were coming in in the 1960s and 70s, <clears throat> people were talking in, in, in exactly those terms. Mm -hmm. Now, we see these changes coming in. At what point do we have to say, no, we can't go along with them any longer? Mm -hmm. I know, I knew good priests back then who would say, well, they've done this and they've done that, but boy, when they do this, that's it. That's where I draw the line. And they never drew the line. They never do the line because they got used to the idea, changing little by little, gradual change. It's an age-old tactic, and uh, it's done an enormous amount of damage. Now we see people with the Society of St. Pius X going through the same process of, you know, chumming up with the, the Novus Ordo. And uh, I found something very interesting recently. Um, I, I found on the Remnant newspaper website an article which was written by a, an FSSPX a fraternity of St. Pius X, Pope Pius X, a priest named Father Michael Johnson. And his article was entitled uh, Cartago, Cartago de Lenda Est, Carthage Must Be Destroyed. He quotes Pliny as, uh, you know, ending his speeches before the Roman Senate, saying, Carthage must be destroyed. And uh, Father Johnson wrote uh, very powerfully, I think, that Concilium Vaticanum Secundum Delindum Est, the Second Vatican Council must be destroyed. And that's where he went from the Carthage to the Second Vatican Council. <clears throat> but he talks about the history, recent history, of the Society of St. Pius X, working on a rapprochement or some kind of, uh, 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 which, which should I say, deal with the Vatican or agreement with the Vatican. And that Cardinal Mueller, I think he said, was the one who basically, through the 
block in the way, uh, insisting that any agreement between the Society of St. Pius X and the Vatican had to include that the SSPX would accept Vatican II and the validity of the new Mass without question and so on. And according to Father Johnson, this kind of put everything on hold. But this is what Father Johnson said next. And I recommend that everyone go and read this because he said that there was a certain softening and that's the word he used yeah. in his article. There was a certain softening on the side of the Society of St. Pius X, a certain softening towards Vatican II that followed this. The year was 2012. And he said the softening took this form. That the society said, well, maybe 85% of what we read in the council is perfectly orthodox and fine. And we have to subscribe to that because to do so would amount to heresy to refuse it. Maybe another 10% or so was kind of suspect and so on. Well, we have to worry about that. And the other 5% was just wrong. Okay? But of the other 10% that was not quite right, then we have to distinguish, well, he said, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he says. That that ugly part, that 10%, <clears throat> You know, so much of it, some of it could be fixed and, and made right. Uh, some of it, not so much. But you have to read the article itself to get the full import of what he's saying. <clears throat> but he made it very clear in his article, as clear as, well, more clear than anyone else, speaking for the Society of St. Pius X, for years, as far as I can see, that the Society has been on this path <clears throat> of softening toward Vatican II. And he actually explicitly said so. And he says, this is wrong. This is a mistake. This is not the right attitude. Um, he said, the, the only solution with the council is to recognize that it's wrong. Basically, I mean, if I may put words in his mouth here, I, I understood him to mean it's not the work of the Holy Ghost. It must be rejected. And his, his statement that the Second Vatican Council must be Deleted, must be delendum, must be, uh, must be destroyed, as it were, and rejected by traditional Catholics, including the SSPX. Now, what uh, reception his article has had back in Mensingen or St. Louis or wherever, I don't know. I've not heard anything more about it. But um, I, I must say, I, uh, <coughs> I applaud Father Johnson for speaking uh, very, very, in a very forthright and uh, one might even say bold way, the truth, and but also uh, bringing the spotlight where it belongs, as, as this dear writer has, that it's clear that there is a softening up of the Society of St. Pius X toward the, the works and the, and the pomps of the modernists. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that should really be enough for people to say, well, I can't, I can't support this if this is where it's going. And as long as I continue supporting it, then I'm encouraging it. And even though I might say, okay, well, it's not so bad yet that I say, I absolutely have to break with this because if I took this step, it would be a mortal sin for sure. Did one have to wait for that, like a clear sign that this is, this is a blasphemy, this is a sacrilege I'm being asked to take part in now? So now I know I have to <clears throat> stop uh, affiliating with this. 
it shouldn't wait for that. I mean, that's how people waited for Vatican II to work out, saying, okay, well, <clears throat> if it becomes clear that I'm, I'm committing a sacrilege or a blasphemy, okay, that's where I draw the line. <clears throat> when they got the hand comedian and they were won over that it's not really that bad because it used to be, they had all kinds of excuses at that time, but they'd gotten accustomed to making those excuses. And if people going to the SSPX now find themselves making excuses, they know, they know they're already, they've already gone too far. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Don't wait to be faced with a session, uh, question of a blasphemy or a sacrilege or you're beginning to worry about whether you're going to be faced with it. The fact is that you see that on the horizon. <clears throat> By continuing to support it, you're still you're encouraging that to happen. And this is the time to take a stand and say, no, we're not going to go that way. You know, Father, some time ago on this program, we talked about the book Liberalism is a Sin. And I know the author in that book, he, he points out that this, this is the MO of the liberals. They will kind of, you know, take this this slow and steady progression towards towards liberalism. And the author also says that, you know, this, this is the devil's favorite tactic. It's, mm -hmm. it's his oldest time. He, he's been, been using this tactic, uh, throughout all of, all of man's history. And, uh, it's been extremely successful. And I think the, the remedy that you're laying out here is just to not even begin that slide, not even begin that process. If you can mm -hmm. see the process is in place, then flee that process, leave that process. Well, if you recognize what the process is, that it's an appeasement of, of modernism. And you decide, well, I can go along with it in conscience, you know, so far. <clears throat> well, the fact is you're already saying, I'm encouraging it. I'm willing to encourage it by my continued support of it. Mm -hmm. And if it ever gets to that point that I fear, I will have actually helped to bring it to that point, not resisted it. So this is the problem that we're facing, uh, that many people in the SSPX are facing right now. And I think this helps explains why, also why... Whereas Archbishop Lefebvre would speak out and condemn the error and speak boldly the truth, but he would boldly speak the truth and as equally boldly condemn the error. But the SSPX, you know, they, they call for uh, fast uh, reparation, reparation for um, uh, the idolatry uh, that went on the Vatican during the Amazonian Synod. But as far as condemning the evil of it, They've, they've been very muted about that. Mm -hmm. And that's a bad sign. All right, Father, let's uh, move on to another email here. It's from a viewer who says, Father Jenkins, thank you for WCB. I really enjoy the program so much so that I would love to move my family to the area so my children could attend the academy. Anyway, I attend a State of Picantis parish in a neighboring state. While I am 100% pre-Vatican II traditional Catholic, the state of Vicantus position is a difficult one to discern, as is the validity of certain Episcopal consecrations. I understand your position on Took and state of Vicantism, but isn't discerning these a great deal to ask of lay people? I don't think it is a great deal to ask of them. I think the situation we're in today requires that. <clears throat> I mean, let's face it, Tom. We, it's impossible to escape having to make decisions. We're confronted with these reality of these decisions. And so we have to pray for the grace to uh, uh, not only understand right from wrong, what is compatible with the faith and what is not, but we have to pray for the grace to uh, have the strength of will to make the sacrifices necessary to be faithful, take the practical steps to be faithful. <clears throat> um, the moment we say, well, I this is more than I should be required to 
understand or, or figure out. Again, I mean, this is going back to 1960, 1970, when the changes were coming in and people were saying, well, I'm not a theologian. You know, I can't be held responsible for uh, just doing what I'm told, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> and they supported the destruction of their parishes. They supported the destruction of their faith, the faith of their families and so on, um, because they were not willing to face those difficult questions. <clears throat> so even though I do sympathize or even empathize, as it were, with uh, <clears throat> those who are facing those hard decisions, um, then I, I just don't see how we can be faithful to our Roman Catholic faith. I don't see how we can be even worthy of our Catholic ancestors who had to make some very difficult decisions. Right up to our parents and grandparents who had to face going through Vatican II and making some very difficult decisions. If we now say, oh, well, that's beyond me, I shouldn't be required to... To uh, I shouldn't be held responsible for knowing and, and taking action on this. Well, I'm sorry, I think we're letting our, uh, not only uh, our Catholic ancestors down, we're letting the church down, I think we're letting our Lord down. <clears throat> we have to know our faith well enough to know what is incompatible with it. And if we see that there is a question of something that uh, could be, well, contrary to all Catholic tradition, <clears throat> We can't just say, well, this is uh, just too involved for me. That's more involved than I want to get to, to knowing the answers to this. So I better uh, back away and not think about it. No, we have to. We have to try to um, make the necessary distinctions and do the right thing. And Father, perhaps this this relates to this, this email, but I, I've actually been doing some very interesting reading lately uh, from an author who, who talks a lot about Aristotle and how he... Uh, essentially, use natural reason to reason himself uh, into uh, to to reason himself to God. Essentially, to to belief in, in a God. Although his uh, well, his, his faulty, but... right, his conception of God w- was very faulty. But nonetheless, he went through this this very complicated uh, process of natural reasoning to arrive at the conclusion that there must be this un- unmoved first mover. And, and the author talks about how complicated and detailed and intricate this process was. And yet, he says that Catholics, um, you know, they, they just they simply have this dropped in their laps, essentially, with, with the uh, the theological virtues and, and the grace there. So perhaps if these issues are complicated, that, that may be true. But, uh, you know, perhaps a, a good method to follow would be to to pray for that grace. Pray uh, for enlightenment. Of, of God understanding. will Yeah. And, and <clears throat> it's not just a matter of discernment. It's, it's a matter of enlightenment from God. Right. Um, and so um, if we're left to our own discernment, uh, Francis and the modernists love the word discernment, discernment, you know. <laughs> Because it opens up a broad, broad field of, you know, whatever they can kind of work out in their minds and justify, that's the way to go. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we don't have, <clears throat> there are certain things we don't have to discern in the sense that God has made things very clear to us. Right. He's enlightened us through our faith <clears throat> and through the working of the Holy Ghost to show that this clearly is not compatible with the Catholic faith and the practice of the Catholic religion. And so we definitely cannot go this way. For example, Consecrating non-Catholics as bishops. I mean, this is something that the church has stood for all, all of these years. And that's not uh, something we have to argue about whether that's okay or not, you know, or whether it's uh, a crime against the faith. It is. It's declared such by the church as a crime against the faith and a crime against the church to do something like that. Totally contrary to all Catholic tradition. 
And so there are certain things we, you know, we don't, the thing that concerns me, I mean, people make up an issue like that saying, it's a, well, we have to discern, you know, whether or not, you know, how, how seriously to take that or whatever. No, no, you're, you're avoiding, you're, that's, that's avoidance is what it is. It's avoiding a rather patent fact that this is wrong and the church has always condemned it. And we can't do this. We just can't go that way. Hmm. Father, I wanted to get into another email because it has some similar threads to what we've been talking about. Uh, it's from a viewer who says that as a lay person, I find it very difficult to judge matters involving theology and canon law. There are clergy with opinions 180 degrees opposed to one another. So how is a layman to decide? On the other hand, he says, I do have education and training in finance and economics. I have studied a great deal of secular history. From this, I can see that the globalist New World Order agenda is evil. It is an attack on people's bodies, minds, and souls. It sets up a global dictatorship where the common man has no real say in how he chooses to live his life. Francis and the Novus Ordo Vatican hierarchy have been pushing this evil agenda. I would like to hear Father Jenkins' opinion as to whether one could reject the Novus Ordo Church based on this alone, outside of any theological and canon law arguments. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the natural law here. You're talking about human nature, and you're saying that this is something that is opposed to human nature and has uh, been proven such by, by history. So these are natural facts, right? And uh, modernism does have very natural, unnatural consequences. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people have rejected the Novus Ordo because they've seen the consequences. They haven't, they may not necessarily be able to argue the theology of changes made in the, in the, in the liturgy or, you know, the, 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 the creed and so on. <clears throat> but when they see the practical consequence, there were even priests who went along with the Novus Ordos at first. But they saw the practical consequences of how destructive it was for the souls of the people they were guiding. And um, so it is we see the practical evil consequences, the bad fruit coming from a bad tree. And so even if you don't necessarily recognize the species of a tree and recognize, well, that, that tree, um, I know that. That, that, that is an oleander bush there. That, those, those are poisonous, or you know that that's uh, that's rice in there. That, that you, you you eat of that um, what is it uh, castor bean plant and so on, and you're going to be ingesting poison. They may not recognize the species of plant, but they certainly will uh, see the consequences, the consequences of the application of this poison. And this is what this gentleman is saying, if it is a gentleman, I guess, that he sees the poisonous fruit of it, and he recognizes. That the tree itself is poisoned. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point to make because we see that a lot today where even um, non-religious-minded people will kind of just totally reject the uh, the, the Nova Sordo Catholic Church, what they think is the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. because they see, uh, you know, all, all of the, the scandals and, and abuse and all of this. And they can just, right. just only on a purely logical basis look at that and say that that cannot be the, the truth. Right. And, and you've said before how, you know, that's... Uh, Someone can actually reject what they think is the Catholic Church. They can actually, they can say but that. But they mistakenly think right, it's the Catholic right. Church. And that's what we have with the Novus Ordo, and that's precisely why the times are so confusing, because it's claiming to be the Catholic Church, but it's not. Well, I actually had someone uh, send me a message just yesterday about the very subject. Mm -hmm. He was bringing out uh, Nancy Pelosi's encounter with a reporter who asked her <coughs> if she hated President Donald Trump. Yeah. Did you see the clips yes. on that? And she, it's as though she was leaving the state. She came back in to 
to to scold him. Uh, <clears throat> very, well, she was scolding him, but in a very nasty way, I thought. She had a look of fury on her face that he would dare say this. And her answer to him was, <clears throat> I grew up in a Catholic family. We don't hate anyone, right? <clears throat> and as though Nancy would say, well, you know, I was taught in my family not to hate anyone, but we love everyone. I don't know if she actually said those words, but I think, in fact, she has expressed the idea, you know, that this is all a labor of love, you know. <clears throat> and she looked as though she could throttle the man if she could reach him. And you've seen the look on her face and also things she's done to mock President Trump and so on. The labor, the work of love is very interesting. Nancy Pelosi's definition of love is very interesting, because I'm sure Nancy would say, <clears throat> well, yes, I, <clears throat> I have a Christian love for Donald Trump. I have, I love my country. I love children. But then, how does she express this great love for, her children, for children? She presides over the dismemberment and the, the scalding to death and the, the destruction of thousands and thousands of babies every year in abortion. And she is like the high priestess, as it were, of abortion right now <clears throat> in America. But uh, she may insist, no, it's love, love, love them. We love the children, love babies. She's murdering them by the, by the hundreds of thousands, protecting Planned Parenthood. Absolutely. You know, that's her definition of love. And so I believe Nancy's very, very sincere <clears throat> when she says she loves Donald Trump, when she says she loves her country. She loves them in the same sense that she loves the babies she's aborting, <clears throat> and whose abortion she is actually not only enabling, but she's rooting, she's cheering for, and she's being actually voted for. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the key to her political power right now. Mm -hmm. right? Father, I have the, the quote from her here uh, in an article. She said, I, I don't hate anybody. I was raised in a Catholic house. We don't hate anybody, not anybody in the world. Don't accuse me of hate. As a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is a heart full of love. I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. Uh, Father, isn't this... Uh, it's a mockery. It, it, and people see it. They know. Yeah. I mean, people know that this is a, a complete mockery. Of, but but it's a prime example of somebody saying, well, that's Catholicism. This, yeah, she's Catholic? This this article, Father, is from the uh, the Nas National Catholic Register oh. on, on their website. And, and after it, it provides the quote from her, it says that... Uh, Pelosi's response was founded on Catholic theology and the Gospels. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And they kind of go about uh, trying to make the, the pretend case that Nancy Pelosi is a Catholic. But Father, isn't this a perfect illustration of a diabolical disorientation that we're living in? I mean, God, <clears throat> save us from the love of Nancy Pelosi and her fellow leftists. They, they, their love is, is more toxic and dangerous than any other mm -hmm. uh, evil. I mean, it, it, that love is not born of heaven. It is born of hell. You know? And if the devil is capable of, quote-unquote, love, well, I think that that defines what she says right there. Mm -hmm. That meets the definition of it. Well, Father, perhaps another example of this uh, diabolical disorientation and uh, 
confusion of terms, if you would, is this, uh, there's a, an article on LifeSite News, um, which says that Pope Francis petitions you in for new annular secular celebration of human fraternity. Mm-hmm. Think about that, Father. He was, uh, Francis wants the United Nations to institute a global yeah. observance, right? Mm-hmm. To uh, commemorate human fraternity. By the way, I understand this was to commemorate on February, February 4th, right. his signing of the Abu, Abu Dhabi, Dhabi document with the Muslim yes. Imam, right? Yes. <clears throat> in which he says God wills all religions, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he wants us to have a global holiday <clears throat> to celebrate his signing of this document. Talk about totalitarianism. <clears throat> what was the motto of the French Revolution which wrought so much death and destruction? <clears throat> Liberty, fraternity, equality. <clears throat> what is the motto of Francis? <clears throat> equality, right? <clears throat> of course, capitalism is a great enemy of equality. And, uh, and, and fraternity, right? The brotherhood of mankind. I mean, uh, Francis could be the, uh, the, 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 his exalted grand highness of the Masons, you know, and, uh, and issue a statement like that and call for a global feast day of fraternity. And, um, this is the problem now. They're, they're trying to give this, um, the, the leftist socialist, uh, phalanx now, which is uh, uh, sweeping the world, it's a religion. They're trying to make it a religion. And Francis is the one who's transforming it into a religion. It's kind of interesting, uh, Tom. Recently, I read an article by a Marxist. And the Marxist said, we have to complete Marx by making Marxism a religion. We have to... You know, Marx was not against all religion. He was against Christianity. But he, he was against supernatural religion. But Marx was not against all religion. In fact, I know, I mean, I was reading Marx's own words in which he was even telling Engels, we do not want to make atheists out of men right away. They will find their way to that. We have to conceal that from them at first so as not to drive them away. But the question of this writer was, how do we find a religion that is compatible with Marxism. And his answer was this. His answer was, it's already here. Neo-paganism. Neo-paganism, he said, is ideally suited to be wed with Marxism and be the, the, to make this Marxist religion. And then he goes on and explains why. And you'd think you were reading I kid you not, you'd think you're reading the preparatory document for the Amazon Synod. I mean, there's a fairly lengthy paragraph in which he talks about totally separated from Francis or modernist theology or anything to do with the Amazonian Synod. You'd think he took it right out of the the working document, but interconnectedness. Everything is interconnected. Everything is connected. Everything in the universe is, we're part of the world, we're interconnected. And you read that working document for the Amazon city and you realize, my goodness, you know, you'd think the same authors wrote these two works here. So he's making a very interesting but frightening argument that they're going to turn Marxism now into a religion for all mankind. And he says, it is already what we know popularly as neo-paganism. 
Well, by speaking of neo-paganism, there's something else that we wanted to get into tonight, and it's Cardinal Burke. He said that uh, diabolical forces have entered St. Peter's Basilica through the uh, Pachamama idolatry. And uh, because of this, it says, uh, this is again from LifeSite News, it says that Cardinal Raymond Burke is backing a France-originated call to prayer and reparation on December 12th for the Pachamama idolatry that took place at the Vatican during the Amazon Synod. Um, he apparently has uh, some other conservative-minded Novus Ordoites behind this uh, this this prayer, Father. But what's your what's your thought on this, Cardinal? Well, some people may mistake Pachamama as having made her its first appearance in the Vatican back at the Amazonian Synod, and it is true. I mean that Pachamama, the, the actual idol, made an entrance into the Vatican into St. Peter's Basilica, into the Church of Santa Maria Transmontina during the Amazon, Amazonian Synod. But this was not the first appearance of this Pachamama idol um, um, in, in religion as such. I mean, the United Nations, uh, at least a couple of years before, was already publishing books, booklets, for education of children for ecology and for uh, world environmentalism and so on, using this Pachamama as a, as a model. The United Nations was already purveying this. Um, and also some of these so-called fringe, by their friend, they, for us they'd be fringe, of course, we'd consider, but these rather mainstream Novus Ordo groups around the world were pushing already this idol as uh, sort of uh, epitomizing uh, the, the, the whole idea of uh, Mother Earth, uh, the Earth Mother Goddess, and all that stuff, you know, about uh, how we should uh, worship the Mother Earth and, and um, realize that we are the product of Mother Earth and, uh, and, and that we have to show homage to her, appease her, even to the point, I mean, as you know, from history of sacrificing children to her, okay? So here you have this idol that has appeared. Now it is entered into St. Peter's formally, but it has already been working there. It's already being promoted there. So when Cardinal Burke says, now this diabolical evil has entered the Vatican, I would just ask him, well, where have you been all this time? I mean, the entry of this this satanic symbol, this 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 idol, this false god or goddess, into the Vatican is the result of a long process. The diabolical spirit didn't enter in there. For all of the other issues surrounding Malachi Martin. The fact is, in his book, The Keys of This Blood, about page 632, 633, 634, he himself says that when Paul VI was elected, he already found in the Vatican this eradicable, malevolent, malicious power, the evil power that had taken hold there. He even connects it with uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, the 33 degrees of Scottish Rite Masonry. In the book, he says this. And this was a bestseller. <clears throat> he then goes on in subsequent pages to connect it with the, the Fatima 
uh, apparitions of our Blessed Mother and Our Lady's prophecies of what would happen because of the sins of mankind. He ties all that together in a rather interesting way. Now, I'm not endorsing, I'm not endorsing what he's writing there, <clears throat> because, I mean, it's, well, obviously, it's uh, his own thoughts on the subject. I'm not saying that the, this is necessarily accurate now. But he says this, <clears throat> and he, how long ago did he write the book? The book was written quite a while ago. A bestseller, and you heard no reaction. I heard no reaction. Millions of copies of the book, this book were printed, bought. <clears throat> Presumably, people read as far as page 632, and they're reading about this, 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 this malicious, diabolical power that has taken control of the Vatican. And where's the reaction? Where's the huge outcry of people saying, oh my goodness, this is horrific. How could someone who claims to know these things say such things? My question is not as how someone who claims to know these things say such things, but how can he know it and say it, claim to know it, say it, and you hear nothing about it? What's wrong? There's something really peculiar going on. But he was even tying it together with, with sexual abuse of children. He was tying it together with child abuse and sacrifice in the same book. I mean, how long ago did this appear? I don't know the exact date that it was first published, but it was 20 years ago, perhaps? I would guess close to that anyway. Maybe more, maybe much longer than that. And yet, did you ever hear of anything? Oh, that? No, I hadn't either until I, I opened the book and just kind of curiously started paging through it, and I came to that. Yeah. And then I'm like, this, this should be earth-shaking. Nothing. <clears throat> so, I mean, Cardinal Burke has seen this Novus Ordo. He's been part of it. He has been a very big part of it. <clears throat> Developing through all these years. Does he not now, looking back at least, talk about the evil fruit, realize <clears throat> that the carrying of Pachamambi and to be worshipped in the Vatican Gardens and St. Peter's and Santa Maria and Transpatina, that this is the result, not the beginning. <clears throat> that this is not necessarily uh, some kind of major, major departure. This is the fruit of what has happened since Vatican II. Unless he and others come to see that, that Vatican II is the, is the tree, and this is only the fruit of that tree, <clears throat> they're not going to get anywhere in terms of rejecting modernism. My fear is that people like Cardinal Burke are going to say, well, let's develop a Vatican II traditional religion. And so it'll be kind of a hybrid of modernism and traditional trappings. And so many traditional Catholics will follow that because they'll say, oh, look, he said Dominus Oviscum. We heard him say Kyrie Eleison. This must be traditional. And they look no farther. The problem is that many of these people who claim to be traditional Catholics are not really looking for a priest or church that is really traditional Catholic. They're just looking for a priest or a church they can be comfortable with. And as long as he says a few words of Latin, hey, that satisfies the need right there. But that isn't Catholic tradition. There's so much more to it. Cardinal Burke has to, be, has to see that clearly, and others like him to understand that, again, Pachamama is just one of the fruits of Vatican II, and Vatican II is the evil tree. Well, Father, if I could take the other side of the argument, is there a chance that, that you're being too harsh uh, with Cardinal Burke? I mean, can we not 
forgive him for his past sins and, and, and inconsistencies? And can we not say that at least it's good now that at least now at this point he is seeing this and he is perhaps beginning to wake up to it and he is saying something now and it must take a lot of courage. Well, I will give him credit for realizing that it's not good to worship pagan idols in the Vatican. Okay, that's really, a, that's a that's a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough. Now, I'm not saying that in Norwegian and mockery. I'm just saying we've come to this point where this is what we say, okay, now we realize there's something wrong here. <clears throat> no, I, I'm sorry. Or the dubia about Francis's Amoris Laetitia. Mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, Colonel Burke and others came out and said, well, what, what about this? You know, there, there are problems with this. We have questions. Mm-hmm. And then Francis refuses to entertain their questions and even uh, starts taking action to uh, um, <clears throat> marginalize the very people that ask. Again, at what point does one, you know, start recognizing there's something amiss here? But we've seen all these evil things happening throughout all these years that Cardinal Burke must have been aware of. And so, you know, I mean, I think it's a very legitimate question to ask. You know, what, what, what about this is new? You know, uh, can, can you not see the development of bringing it to this point? And what makes you think that this is suddenly uh, out of character or out of order and not simply a continuation? Um, You know, Benedict wanted us to see the continuum, as it were, the hermeneutic of continuity between Vatican II and the traditional. Well, uh, applying those same ideas, why can't we see the hermeneutic, hermeneutic of continuity between Vatican II and all of these evil things that follow from it? Maybe that's the real continuity that people have to face. No, I, I certainly would pray and do pray for Cardinal Burke. I want him to, to face the reality of it all. <clears throat> but uh, there are so many others who just seem to resist facing the reality that Vatican II is the evil train. And, you know, Cardinal Burke, he, he talks about these diabolical forces uh, entering the Vatican. If he really wants to be honest, wasn't it uh, Paul VI? Decades ago, back in the 60s, I believe, who said, you know, the smoke of Satan mm. has, has entered the church. I mean, isn't that uh, a... Uh... Well, they found a way to try to uh, sort of derail that and make it mean something quite different. But, you know, here we are. We're talking about Cardinal Burke, who says, now they brought a pagan into the church. Now, now a diabolical influence has entered. Now, okay. <clears throat> and we have... Ample evidence that diabolical evidence had entered long before the Vatican II. We also have the Society of St. Pius X, who has softened, in the words of one of its own priests, softening its position with regard to Vatican II at this time, this very time. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly softening that position from Monsieur Lefebvre, their founder. And... Uh, these these are not good trends, trends in themselves to try themselves trying to no matter what uh, trying to f- resist seeing the reality that Vatican II I'll say it again is the evil tree and it is from that tree that all of these evil fruits have come it, it, as a natural consequence even. and at the same time that the SSPX is is softening then we have these uh illustrations like Cardinal Burke, who his, his rhetoric, it seems, is perhaps becoming more and more more and more bold. There, there are those in the Novus Ordo, uh, even Novus Ordo bishops and cardinals who are willing to now challenge Francis. So they're uh, directly challenge Francis. So we have on one side the uh, supposedly traditional 
Society of St. Pius X softening and the Novus Ordo uh, bishops and cardinals becoming more and more bold mm. and more and more direct. How ironic is that? Tom, I don't know how well you might know of Archbishop Lefebvre from his writings, perhaps, because I know you're too young to remember him in life. But I think anybody who knew him, and I'm not that I knew him, you know, Greatly, okay. I, I knew him well enough to think I, I can honestly make this statement accurately. <clears throat> that anyone who knew Archbishop Lev <clears throat> could hear what he would be saying now about that Amazon Senate and about this Pachamama <clears throat> in the Vatican and Moloch outside the, uh, or actually within the, <clears throat> you know, the columns of, uh, uh, of the Colosseum. I think people would have a very uh, good idea of what Archbishop Lefebvre be saying, and it's not being said by the Society of St. Pius X, sad to say. Father, any final words, final thoughts before we close the program? Well, I think we have to, uh, you know, just face reality and hope that others do too. I mean, it's not easy to face these things, and when this gentleman says it, you know, it's just not, not too much for us to discern. Uh, I'm, I'm not claiming that it's easy to do this. I'm not saying that people just figure this out all at once. It doesn't come that way. But nonetheless, I think there's a certain uh, compelling logic to facing what's happening and realizing what's behind it. You know, uh, reason is the power, the ability to understand things in their causes. And if we apply the use of reason to what is happening to us, we can see very clearly what's causing this. And even though we might have certain sacred cows that we want to protect because we're too heavily invested, let's say, in Vatican II. <clears throat> and if I were a Cardinal Burton and thought, I invested my entire life now into Vatican II and carrying out Vatican II, <clears throat> or even in Archbishop Vigano, <clears throat> I would have to do some serious soul-searching to say, well, I think I'm beginning to see now uh, that the fruit of this has been very wrong. Just as priests who accepted Vatican II and the new Mass when it first came out, came to realize there's something very wrong with this, there's poison in this. And they had to often sacrifice their livelihood, <clears throat> their future of advancement and preferment of this. If they'd only been quiet, just like the martyrs were offered, you know, uh, noble marriages and riches, if they would sacrifice to the idols of, of Rome. People had to make hard decisions, and that's where we are right now. If we're going to keep our faith and be faithful to Christ, we have to be ready to do that. But we have plenty of examples in the saints, and uh, we certainly have the chance. They, uh, they are there as champions in heaven praying for us right now. <clears throat> but it's a matter of, of being faithful to our Lord, ultimately. <clears throat> we have, uh, of course, here within the octave of the Immaculate Conception of our Blessed Mother, we have a primary example of absolute unwavering fidelity to the will of God in our Blessed Mother. <clears throat> and she really, above all, is our champion. So we have to look to her. <clears throat> when the devil looks at her, the, the sacred scripture says he sees an army drawn up in battle array against him. And think of our Blessed Mother as an army drawn up in battle array. <clears throat> That's hard for us. We don't usually see Our Lady that way. And we shouldn't. <clears throat> but her enemy does. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Words of God himself spoken to the serpent after the sin of Adam and Eve. And so the devil sees her as his enemy. 
And she's so formidable, he sees her as an army <clears throat> armed against him. All of her virtues, all of her virtues are those weapons. <clears throat> of course, when we look at her, we see Toda Pulcra Es Maria, thou art all beautiful, Mary. Because we see those weapons as adornments, very some things of great beauty in her. So we have to turn to Our Lady, who is the the well, she's referred to in the so many of the encyclicals as the one who crushes heresies. <clears throat> and that this refers also back to the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, crushing the heresies. And the modernism we know from St. Pius X is the, is the synthesis of all heresies. So we have to beg Our Lady to come, come to our aid here and crush the heresies of the most wicked one. Um, but in order to approach and ask for that, we have to have a part, a heart free from sin, a heart devoted to God and God's will. Um, that's what we have to be. That's why we have to get back to the true traditional mass with the true traditional Catholic priest, receive the true traditional Catholic sacraments and begin practicing in its integrity, the true traditional Catholic faith. That's, that's where grace is. Uh, thanks for being here tonight. Well, you're welcome. Certainly. Yeah. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and finally to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.